Welcome to the Too Long Didn't Read Preaching Edition podcast. I'm Joe Brudasevich, pastor of Manchester Baptist Church in Manchester, Illinois. And with me is Jeremy Bird, pastor of Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Illinois. On this podcast, we discuss what we preach this week. You're going to get two summaries of uh, our sermons and a peek behind the scenes at what we're thinking about as we preach. Thanks for joining us. So how about we get started? Sounds good to me. Awesome. So what did you preach on this week? Yeah, so we're still in Galatians. Imagine okay. that. Um, and so this week we were in Galatians chapter 4, verses 12 through 20. And I I really debated going for a smaller chunk this week, but the verses just flowed together and they just needed to go. Uh, they just needed to go that direction. So um, I, um, I, I preached on Paul's argument that he's that he's making there um, coming to the conclusion of chapter four, where really what he's trying to do is he's he's trying to move those Galatian believers back toward truth. And so that was our our integrating thought um, for this week was three ways truth reshapes uh, us and godly fellowship. So three ways truth reshapes us in godly fellowship and and so the first uh is that that truth reshapes lives and what he basically is his argument there is he starts out he says basically become become like me and you know that can really sound um arrogant if you just say become like me without understanding the context you know but his next his next uh phrase is become like me because I have become as you are. Okay. So his whole, his whole argument there is I have left Judaism. I have left legalism. I have left, you know, those, those three fence posts of legalistic Judaism of circumcision and Sabbath laws and dietary restrictions. I have left those and become like you as a Galatian believer I have embraced freedom in Christ. I have embraced identity in Christ. I have embraced gospel over good works. Uh, and, and so that's kind of his argument. And then in shifting from that, he, he begins to talk about the power of the gospel um, in that, you know, when he came, he preached, uh, he preached the gospel, but he was weak. He was frail. He was suffering. And the people accepted him. They ministered to him while he ministered to them. And God uh, used that time to bring power to them through the through the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And so then the second way that he kind of outlines the way truth has reshaped uh, is that not only has it reshaped his life and it should reshape their lives, but truth reshapes conversations. And so because reminding them of the truth, reminding them of who he is, he, and he, he specifically says, have I become your enemy because I speak the truth? Um, and so through that, he asks some, uh, well, he, he has some hard questions that he asks some like, have I become your enemy? And then there's some bold statements that he makes where he's saying, hey, listen, these, these guys are pursuing you, but it's not because they love you. It's because they love themselves. They're, they're making much out of you in hopes that you'll make much out of them is, is basically what he's saying. He's saying that's in contrast to him. He came preaching the gospel in weakness. He didn't care about his reputation. He didn't care about his, uh, his self in any way, shape, form, or fashion. All he cared about was preaching the truth to these people. Um, and, and so he, 
truth reshaped that conversation that he was able to have with them. Um, and if you go back and look at, at Galatians chapter three, uh, verse one, he goes from calling them foolish Galatians to kind of, you know, having more sympathy and empathy in that conversation, having a different kind of tone. And, and he gets to that in verses 19 and 20. Um, but, you know, the truth, uh, the truth of the gospel has to reshape our conversations. If we love somebody, um, we have to love them enough to know when to speak boldly and when to ask hard questions and when to have grace and when to express love. Um, and those those are not really human things that we can do apart from the Holy Spirit, because if we do them in our of ourselves, it's going to become, you know, flattery or it's going to become nagging or it's going to become, uh, you know, an argument that we're trying to win. Um, and instead, what his focus is, uh, is that because of the truth, it's not flattery, it's truth. You know, it's not argument, it's truth. And, and so it just, it just reshapes that. And because of that, the third, the third way truth reshapes uh, is that it reshapes perspective. And this is in Galatians 4, 19 and 20. Uh, and this is, to me, this is... Um, this is really that pinnacle moment in Galatians when you really get to the heart of what's going on, uh, where, where Paul says, my little children, I'm again in the anguish of childbirth for you until Christ is formed in you. Um, and so he, his perspective is different than that of these Judaizers who are trying to win an argument or they're trying to flatter a people so they can win reputation or honor or prestige or something like that. And so he brings his argument back around full circle to basically say, when I came to you and preached the gospel, I was suffering and you ministered to me. And while you ministered to me, I was ministering to you and we both were blessed. Uh, and then when he comes to verse 19, he says, and I'm still suffering for you. I'm still, I'm still suffering in the gospel for you. And so we just talked about the burden that he has there and about how it's it's a parental. They're his little children. There's possessive nature there. There's a parental nature there. And we talked about how passionate it was that his burden for them, that, that he's willing to suffer. He's willing to endure these things for them, for their benefit. And, and there's a purpose to it. He's not just suffering because he likes to be a martyr, but he's willing to suffer for their sake if that's what it takes to see Christ fully formed in them. For them to mature and so that argument goes back to what he had been saying about the law being the babysitter or babysitter or the guardian of the immature but now in christ we are mature and these galatians need to continue maturing in christ and to do that they need to turn to christ and turn away from legalism they need to turn uh to christ and turn away from the law they, they need to turn to the gospel and turn from good works basically um and so that to me is a, is a as a profound uh section of the argument because it really lays out um how paul addressed these people um and and it, it in a lot of ways it models i think what jesus did where jesus just spoke truth and he spoke truth in love but he still spoke truth clearly and at times that graded on people and at, and at times that uh, pushed people away. But you have to learn when to be compassionate and when to be bold. And the only way we can do that is through the person and work of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Um, so that's that's where we were this week in Galatians uh, 4, 12 through 20. And I, 
you know, just obviously in a very, very quick, short, uh, brief snippet. What was your favorite thing from that text? Oh, for me, it's always Galatians 419. It, it, um, I'm sure I've shared this with you before, but um, when I was a, a young pastor, so <clears throat> when I went to seminary in Memphis, um, we ended up leaving seminary to go pastor a church in our hometown, which in some ways is, uh, I think, was a mistake. I wasn't ready. Um, I mean, I, I was I was a good enough preacher to go be their preacher, but I wasn't a strong enough person to go be their pastor, if that makes sense. And so while we were there, uh, the church grew from, you know, there were 55 people there uh, my first Sunday. And by my second Easter there, uh, there were 330. Um, and so we had grown enormously. That second year I was there, we baptized almost as many people as had been in the church the year I came. Uh, we baptized 48 that second year. We were one of the fastest growing churches in the Tennessee Baptist Convention. Uh, we were a leader in baptisms in the Tennessee Baptist Convention. And, you know, if people are in Illinois, they may not understand. You know, in Illinois, you've got about a thousand churches. And in Tennessee, you've got 4,000 churches. So you're talking much, much bigger. Lincoln Avenue is the largest church in our association here in Illinois. And when I served in Tennessee, I didn't serve in an association where Lincoln Avenue would be the largest church. Um, so we're, we're still a, we're a very small church compared to, you know, that Southern Baptist yeah. community in, in Tennessee. Um, and so, you know, we were, we were blowing and going and doing some good things, but the problem was I was, I was very cocky and arrogant. And so when people would come to me and they would express uh, problems, I was just kind of, well, you know, that's your problem. You need to get over it because we're doing this. And, um, so, I, you know, one of the things that we had issues with was our youth pastor, um, you know, it's kind of a silly thing, but it's not to the person that's involved in it he took a girl's cell phone away because she was texting during a youth conference instead of listening to the speaker. Well, that person's parent wanted me to call them and tell them to come back immediately and fire him on the spot and all this. I'm like, I'm not, no, because not only did he have permission to do that, it was the right thing to do, you know? Um, so I just kind of, I was dismissive of that. And then same family had a problem when our music minister began experimenting with different instrumentation like drums and and things like that in the sanctuary and um so i just kind of I was dismissive of that and so ultimately it kind of came to a head with a group of about 10 people uh trying to get enough support to vote me out of the church and they they didn't have this they didn't have the numbers to vote me out of the church by a long shot but, you know, 10 people in a church of, you know, 300 is more than enough to create a toxic environment. And that's ultimately what ended up happening. Um, and so I carried a lot of bitterness for that um, toward people that, you know, the chairman of the deacons came to me and told me and said, uh, you know, Jeremy, it's great that we're seeing all these people saved, but we need to send them to another church. Um, because they, they felt like they were losing control of, quote unquote, their church. And again, I was just kind of dismissive of that. I'm like, well, no, we're not going to send people to another church. You just need to, you know, you need to grow up. Um, and so through all that, I carried a lot of bitterness. And it wasn't until several years later when I started my doctoral program that the Lord used that verse to really minister to me and to challenge me. Because uh, when I showed up for the doctoral program, 
their hazing uh, ritual was the new guys. So basically the way it works is you're in a cohort. So you're doing two classes simultaneously. Um, and so you get your syllabi, you, you do your readings, you do your assignments, you, you coordinate everything online. And then you go to campus for a week and you're in uh, lectures and discussions basically all day from like 8 a.m. to you know, four or five in the afternoon, Monday through Friday. Um, and so you're in there with, with this cohort of people discussing the things and lecturing and, and all this, that, and the other. And then on Wednesday of the first week for the first class, it was a week. And then the second class was the second week. Uh, you go to chapel and you hear a chapel speaker and it's all great. And then they tell you the second week, the new guys uh, all have to preach in chapel. And so it's like, you know, that's not a big deal because we're preachers. We're there to study preaching. You know, it's a doctorate in preaching. So, okay, yeah, let us preach. But then you start learning that, you know, no, it's it's not that you're going to be able to get up there and preach one of your best sermons. It's that they were going to make us all preach. So there's eight of us in the cohort that started. So eight preachers preaching in chapel. Each of us had five minutes and each of us were given this specific verse to preach Galatians 419. And um, um, I can remember, you know, then you're kind of nervous because you're like, OK, you're in a room of doctoral students, guys that are pastoring and like, you know, Ben Mandrell is there. Who's the president of Lifeway now? He, he was in the doctoral program with me. Um, Sam Tolbert, who's president of a national Baptist organization uh, for African-Americans. Uh, I mean, so there's some there's some big names sitting there in the room, guys that are at mega churches and this, that and the other. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm nervous. I'm going to be preaching in front of these guys. And then you add to that and I'm preaching with these guys and we all have to preach the same text and bring our own flavor and be ourselves and, and all these things. And so anyways, I remember going back to the dorm room that night and sitting down with the Bible and starting to research that verse, Galatians 4:19. my little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. And through studying that, the Lord just really convicted me and challenged me uh, pastorally and ministerially. You know, I, I had not viewed the people entrusted to my pastoral care as my children. I had viewed them as just people. And then um, beyond that, I recognized, you know, that instead of being angry at these people, I should have felt anguish for them. And I was really convicted by that because uh, these people weren't the people telling me that we needed to see people saved and send them to another another church. And the people telling me that it wasn't very Baptist to have a, a drums in the sanctuary and it wasn't very Baptist to, to do some of the things that we were doing. Um, I viewed those people as opponents. Uh, at worst, and obstacles at best, and really what I should have been viewing them as were believers in Christ who were just not mature enough yet to have freedom to get away from some of those legalistic things and from some of the other things they struggled with, and that was on me um, because we're told we don't fight against flesh and blood. This was a spiritual battle, but I was viewing it as an argument to be won and an obstacle to be overcome. Uh, and I wasn't viewing it as a people to be cared for and loved and and sympathized and empathized with. Um, and so th through through preaching that uh, Galatians 419 kind of became one of my ministry life verses um, that, you know, it's easy to become angry or aggravated. But it's right to be be in anguish. 
Mm. Um, and to feel sorry for people instead of mad at them that they don't have the freedom that they're falling into these pits that they're they're being attacked spiritually and I, and it's my job as pastor to compassionately love them and care for them and not view them as opponents mm. so yeah so definitely definitely verse 19 is is really my my heartbeat when it comes to the book of galatians okay awesome awesome Uh, so this week was the final week of the Exodus series. Yeah, I started to ask if this was the last, the yeah. last uh, sermon in Exodus for now. And I actually referred to Galatians and what you've been preaching, um, because awesome. you, I don't, uh, I don't think you can preach Exodus nineteen and twenty. Uh, as a New Testament believer, without pointing to Christ, without paying attention to Galatians chapter three, and without paying attention to Hebrews chapters eight through ten, um, because they tell us what was going on in in Exodus nineteen and twenty, and so to just handle it as this is it, um, I think ends up doing um doing doing the text wrong so anyway but it was awesome to have the chance to preach the ten commandments i've never preached the ten commandments before really yeah and wow. um yeah i've never preached the ten commandments before uh, <laughs> never done a ten commandments series and honestly i mean if if I've heard a sermon series from Exodus, I think I told you this, that was going through the Ten Commandments, it's been a long time. Because I, I feel like so much time is spent in the New Testament anyway. Um, so anyway, so this sermon is really like the question of like, what does it mean to have a relationship with the Lord? You've, you've talked about it here in our conversations. Like Israel was being called to go out and worship a God they didn't know. And so the Lord is teaching them about himself and they get to, they get to Mount Sinai. And this is the moment where, okay, what's it going to be like to have a relationship with the Lord? Uh, 19 verses four to six kind of lays out where the Lord's like, will you do this? And after that, the people are like, yes, we're going to do everything the Lord tells us. And then that's what leads into the 10 commandments. So the question that Exodus, I think, leaves us with is, will you love the Lord? Because that's the heartbeat of the commandments. That's the heartbeat of the covenant is, will you love the Lord? And this is what that looks like. Here are, the, here are these 10 laws. Here's these 10 words. Uh, and um, so as we went through, like, I mean, we, we walked through the 10 commandments, pointing out like, this is what's, what's going on here. Uh, this is what these are. These aren't case laws saying, here's the law. Here's what happens if you break it. Here's the punishment for that. You know, here's how to interpret the, the different ways. This is that's later. That's other laws. But uh, really, these laws, I think, ask us four questions when it comes to loving the Lord. Will you love the Lord because of his authority? Will you love the Lord because of his deliverance? Will you love the Lord by obeying his word? And will you love him inside and out? And Exodus Galatians and Hebrews, Jeremiah 31, the, the, the Old Testament and the New Testament give us a resounding no. 
we will not love the Lord in this way. And so that's where uh, Hebrews 8 says there is a better covenant made in the body of Christ. And so then um, we begin to be formed to actually live out and look like the law that we could not keep and the love that we could not give because the better covenant does what we couldn't do, what the, what the covenant and Mount Sinai could not do. So my, honestly, my favorite moment was that night. Um, somebody showed me her granddaughter's notes from the sermon. And this is what I live for is when um, I feel like, I feel like, she might be second grade, third grade, something like that. So the spelling is kind of all over handwriting. I'm trying to decipher what's going on. And I realized that in this little girl's handwriting, she has captured the main point from my notes in her notes, like mm. word for word. And the references awesome. and the questions and the, the 10, you know, the sentence, the 10 commandments point us and prepare us for Jesus. And I'm like, that's it. That's what I want. If a kid can get that. Um, that's incredibly encouraging because I, I don't want to just preach at the adults or just preach at the kids. I want to, but I want to preach at a level in which all of us can take and apply the Bible to ourselves. And so to, to be able to see a, a, a grandchild do that, it's pretty awesome. So. Yeah, that is to me, that's, that's one of the highest compliments that you can pay a preacher um, is that the message was clear. That, that people understood it because that's that's our goal you know is to is to make the the word of god accessible and clear and applicable to those we've been called to preach to and so that's awesome man that's a that's a fantastic and encouraging uh, event that happened on a, on a, on sunday that's yeah cool. yeah i had forgotten that happened and i was like oh yeah that's that's the kind of thing that i love and i mean and I told somebody uh, this series that was hard. And in one sense, I don't, I don't know that I would recommend somebody go so quickly through Exodus as we did. Um, but I feel like I just fell in love with the Lord by reading it, like mm. reading it in this way and reading it quickly and seeing the works of the Lord. I just kind of fell in love with the Lord that's delivering and this delivering and this delivering and that it's, he's loving and he's loving and he's pouring himself out for the people. And then, yeah. and then I, and then I kicked myself because I think it was today. I read the title of a book on the second half of Exodus. And I was like, how did I not know that? I'm gonna. I'm. I'm googling it right now. The greatest theological tool in modern mankind's toolbox, Google. Oh yeah. No, that's not it. That's pretty good. But uh, yeah. Hmm. I thought it was Walter Brueggemann. Uh, that the title it's the second half of the book. What what did he call that? 
it was so the second half of the book i think the first one was delivered out of empire but that's not that's not what i read I don't remember what it was, but I was kicking myself today because I was like, yes, that's what this is about. And I would love to look at that resource. But anyway, so it ended up being totally profitable. I, I feel like I fell in love with the Lord, but it's hard. It's hard to preach. And I imagine it's hard to listen to if you're not familiar with those things. Um, well, but I think I think there's definitely a time for more of a survey of a book, because I can remember growing up uh, in my small country church. And, you know, discussions on Exodus would, you know, invariably get sidetracked on little, little minutiae and details like, okay, is this the Red Sea or the Reed Sea? And, you know, where oh, exactly yeah. would that be? And, you know, what does it mean when, when this plague happens? And what God of Egypt is that maybe, um, you know, standing against and this, that and the other? And sometimes, sometimes I, I feel like sometimes, you know, and this is something people don't don't recognize. Satan uses God God's word. I mean, when he tempted Eve, he twisted God's word. When he tempted Jesus, he quoted scripture. Um, and, and so I think some, one way that he can get us to uh, to kind of get sidetracked is he can use God's word in ways that God's word was never really meant to be used in our lives. And so we get bogged down in minutia and detail and, and stuff like that. And we lose the joy of reading God's word. And we start living in the what ifs instead of the, what the Lord has said. Um, and, and so I think, I think that sometimes, you know, those survey, the survey sermons like that, that just capture the main points and point you toward God and don't get bogged down and all of those things that, you know, Brueggemann's going to interpret it this way. And, you know, these guys are going to interpret it this way. Um, you know, definitely as, as pastors, as theologians, as scholars, we need to read those resources to better understand the word of God. But sometimes it's not necessary to really get into all that stuff to preach a good, solid sermon that God's going to use to touch people's lives. Um, so it, it's, to me, it's really hard. Those, um, those survey sermons where you're preaching large chunks uh, because I really like um, I really like it when I'm basically just able to follow the the curvature of the land you know I'm not I'm not having to fly over fly over the map and chart my own course and try to try to tie the major major landmarks together instead I can just kind of follow Paul's argument through Galatians and and it'll it'll preach because that's what he's doing he's preaching through through writing um so i think i think your people if the lord laid out that on your heart i think manchester definitely needed that um and and it can be it can be tedious even though i love preaching and i've studied preaching for a long time and I've, i have preached for a long time uh preaching is a burden and it and it can become um, a tedious burden and so we have to sometimes uh, just do it because the lord's called us to do it not just because we love it that, does that make sense am i making yeah. sense or just rambling yeah yeah and in truth i mean i i can especially one of the things i love about preaching is 
preaching to specific people in the room and go, you know what? Yeah, it was hard to prepare. And I'm sure for some people it could, it's like, whoa, that what about this detail or what like we're covering a lot of stuff here. But I, I think about some of the people in the room and I'm like, I think they needed to know the big story and not get lost in details because the the big story is big and it's epic and it's amazing and it's incredible. And I was telling my wife today, I, I heard somebody and I, I regularly will hear a critic, whether it's somebody I've followed for a long time that's turned their backs on Christianity or gone into a, you know, a different form or, uh, of Christianity, rejected the faith or whatever the case may be. I'll often hear like, like this criticism of how can you read the Bible and come away with, and, and it's never really what I believe or what we would believe and say that the Bible teaches, but it basically nitpicks one little thing. And so when I think about, I think about some of the people in the room, some of them who grew up in church and they're deeply hurting now, some people who didn't grow up in church and are wondering, is, is this place for me? I'm like, I don't want you, I want you to hear this big epic story of a God who goes to rescue and not get bogged down in um, um, what, what critics might say Christianity is all about. A critic who says, oh, how can you read the Bible and come away thinking that the entire thing is about gender roles? And I'm like, I never said it was. It's instead the story of the God of the universe coming and rescuing his people and his guidelines um, and his commands and his invitations uh, into living that in relationship with him come after his deliverance. And if you're going to mess that up, okay, but I want to make sure that the people, some of whom whose stories I don't know, or the, the things they're wrestling with that I don't understand, or some people who just, who go, God, why did you allow this to happen? I want them to hear the big story and not just the detail. And so it was worth it. And I found that book title. Brueggemann has a, two books. He has one, the first part of Exodus is called Delivered Out of Empire. And the second one is called Delivered Into Covenant. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So, um, yeah. I, uh, I don't, I, is it even out yet? No, it, it uh, actually it came out last week. That's why I didn't know about it. So, well, oh, there you go. I finished the series five days yeah. after the book came out. I'm not, well, he was waiting for you to finish. So you know what to write. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I'm not a huge Brueggemann fan. He's got some good stuff, but, uh, but I'm not huge. I'm not a massive guy. But one thing just to encourage you to on those um, those kind of survey series that you've been walking through in Exodus and those big ones. Uh, one reason that I, I do like those and one reason that they are necessary is because uh, we found a couple of years ago, uh, just through college ministry, that a lot of college students were coming into into the church um, and they're wanting to debate Pauline soteriology, but they don't know, you know. They don't know Moses in the burning bush. They don't know Noah in the ark. They, they, they don't know those pivotal moments in Old Testament history that God used to bring the covenant about and that he used to, you know, pursue his people. And, and, and so the biblical illiteracy is just massive. I mean, it's, a, it's an epidemic in the modern church. I remember reading, uh, I think it's called How to Read the Bible for Life by george guthrie 
And, uh, um, you know, one of the in the like in the introduction or the opening chapter, <clears throat> he talks about, uh, you know, a secular a secular. Uh, I believe this was in that book, a secular um, English professor uh, who was lamenting biblical illiteracy because her her college students didn't understand the the allusions to scripture that Shakespeare makes. Um, and they, they didn't understand some of the metaphors and allegories that he was using, some of the illustrations that he was using and drawing from scripture and from the text. And she, and she would have to stop and explain these things that in, uh, in Shakespeare's time were just kind of pop culture references because everybody would have known that this was an allusion to scripture, that this was in the Bible, uh, that, that you know, this, this character is quoting the scripture or maybe misquoting this verse or something like that. Um, and, and, and so it just completely goes over the kids' heads. <clears throat> As a matter of fact, one one example I found was like a, a a a female professor who was a lesbian who was talking about how difficult it was um, teaching teaching English when people don't know the Bible, mm. and I thought that was kind of fascinating, um, and so that led us to do a, a whole series for one year on uh, so we took um, we took a, a reading plan. Uh, called F260, and it was basically yeah. uh, the high points of Scripture over 260 days. You don't read every verse, but you read the high points. And so we we broke the church up into uh, D groups, and and so these groups would be reading those those scriptures each day. And then that Sunday, I would preach on one of the verses that they had interacted with that week. So I wasn't I wasn't uh, you know kind of coloring. Uh, what they were going to read before they read it, I was coming in and kind of summarizing what they read afterwards. And one of the main reasons was because biblical illiteracy was so rampant that people didn't, we felt like almost we needed to go back to children's Bible stories and start introducing those to people because even though they've been in the church for years and years and years, they had never really sat under uh, expository preaching where you're taking verses and just kind of explaining them and walking through scripture. It may be, you know, a political tirade or it may be an ethical, you know, Ted talk, but it really wasn't taking the word of God and expounding it in a way that made it accessible and applicable. Um, and so I think, you know, doing what you're doing in Manchester, um, I mean, you probably assume, hey, these are people that are faithful to the Lord and they've, they've been here, they've studied scripture, they know these things, but you'd probably be surprised at what people don't know just because of previous ministers and, and the way they designed their preaching ministry. Um, so I think it's important for us to go deep and to go wide at different times throughout our preaching ministries. Which that actually leads me to my question for this, this conversation. Um, um which is how do you plan a series and how do you plan a year's worth of series and so and i find it's always better to talk in specifics rather than generally so there's the question how do you plan a series and how do you plan a year of series but like how does that also apply to you this next year i'll let you go first yeah so i never did for the longest time until i started my doctoral program uh, it, it, I never understood how a preacher could sit down and design a series. I, it just because the series that I was familiar with were topical, and so um, it would be you know a marriage series, and they would take 
this verse this week and this verse next week. And, and I just never, I never got that. I never felt competent or confident enough to say, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to preach this topical sermon series and I'm going to teach you everything the Bible has to say on the topic of love. You know, I just, I don't know how you can do that. I don't know that's possible. Um, and so when I was going through, uh, through my doctoral studies, one of the books that we read was called Planning Your Preaching. I want to say it's by Stephen Rummage. Um, but anyways, through that, um, and then just through the, uh, the, the process of going through that, uh, that program, I learned, man, that's, that's one of the most uh, attention-filled moments in my week is trying to think of what I'm going to preach next Sunday. Um, and trying to figure that out. And so I just kind of adopted, uh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a proponent of expository preaching. So I go verse by verse through books or through sections of books. Um, and, um, and also what I'll do is, uh, I want to balance the whole counsel of the word of truth. And so, uh, I'll preach old Testament and then I'll bounce to new Testament. Um, I'll go Old Testament, then I'll bounce to New Testament. So I kind of go back and forth between those. Um, and so I'll have, um, and, and my general rule of thumb is usually about eight to 10 weeks is as long a series as I'll typically preach because I don't want people to get bored with where, with where we are. Um, and so, so for example, we did the book of Joshua. It took us five years to get through the book of Joshua because we do, you know, this one, we do the, you know, the, uh, uh, the pre-crossing narrative and we did that one year and then we would go do something else and the next year we came back to the crossing and and maybe went through you know chapter chapter eight or nine where they they failed and then they succeeded at ai um and and so we took it we took it that way so it was multiple series out of that one book um so that's been my my typical way of doing it so what i'll do is usually usually in october I will sit down and begin praying through the next year and I'll look through what I have preached. And so I keep a spreadsheet of sermons I have preached for the last 20 years. So I know what I preached, where I preached it. Um, and that way I don't go back and preach the same thing over and over and over. Cause that's something that's easy for preachers to do. We kind of get on our own soapbox and there's like a, a pet topic or a, a hobby horse that we really like to spend time with. And so Preaching expository messages through books or through, or through sections of the books causes me to uh, to tackle topics that maybe I wouldn't normally tackle, um, which I think helps people uh, because I get to speak to more people than I might normally speak to doing that. Um, so I'll I'll sit down like in October and I'll review what we've done. I'll try to figure out okay what series have I not finished that I need to tackle the next series uh, next section of or finish up. And then I'll pray about, you know, what are some of the what are some of the books that I feel like would really speak to us or um, what are some of the things that I think might address some theological deficiencies that we've got. And so I'll try to I'll try to come out of, you know, I'll, I'll try to come out of the, uh, the Torah uh, and, and, and speak speak about, um, you know, the, the first five books of the Bible or, you know, the, the laws. And then I will go maybe into the gospels and then I'll come back into the wisdom literature and the writings and then I'll jump forward into the epistles and then I'll come back into the prophets and then I'll go to the gospels and just kind of just kind of bounce around like that a little bit um 
and and I'll basically plan the year out that way. And of course, you know, one of the things that uh, that you do is you have to kind of hit those high water marks. You know, like uh, Christmas, you probably need to talk about Christmas. You know, uh, Easter, you should probably talk about Easter. Um, those those sorts of things. My mom gets real mad at me because I typically don't do that. I just I'm preaching a series and we're preaching the series. But I've started I've started in the last few years trying to end sometime around the Easter season so that we can do kind of a micro series on on the resurrection or uh, on the ascension. Uh, I'm kind of big on preaching the ascension. Um, and then uh, I'll do the same thing around Christmas. We'll try to take a break around Christmas. Now, this year we're not. We're just going straight through Galatians and we're allowing other parts of our worship to direct our hearts toward the Christmas narrative, the Christmas story. Okay. So, okay. So how, what does that look like? Have you planned 2022? Well, I'll, I'll be in Galatians for several more months. Um, so I, I don't think I'm scheduled to finish that up until, um, until like February. And then uh, usually when I have those, those breaks like that, I'll get one of our staff members to preach a week so that uh, they get to express their ministry in front of the church. Um, so we'll have that. I am in this next year. Typically, what do you guys do at Manchester? Typically, we we have had communion about once a quarter, um, but it's not necessarily always on a Sunday morning. So like we'll have we'll, we'll have the Lord's Supper on Christmas Eve. and That'll be part of that service. And then we'll have it like for Good Friday, usually. And I think for this next year, I have uh, tentatively planned the Lord's Supper every two months, I think on Sunday mornings, uh, because I feel like one of the things that we need to do better as a church is, uh, is expressions of worship. Does that make sense? So like uh, I want us I want us to spend more time around the Lord's table this year. Um, I'm intentionally leading in more specific prayer in in the worship services because I feel like we need to be more intentional about our prayer and about uh, what we're praying about. Um, so yeah, so Galatians there'll be more Lord's Supper. There'll be. Um, a series, uh, I usually do something like summer psalms in the summer, where we'll hit the psalms in the summer then. Um, and then uh, following up from Galatians, I think our major New Testament, um, one of our major New Testament series will probably be tackling one of the Gospels. And I, I have kind of tentatively earmarked uh, the Gospel of Mark for that. Uh, because the Gospel of Mark, I, I tell people, each one of them is different. The Gospel of Mark is the Hollywood blockbuster of the Gospels because it's, you know, it's like it's like an Arnold Schwarzenegger flick. It's just like boom, action, boom, action, boom, action, boom, action, boom, action. Uh, so it, you know, it, Mark uses a lot of immediately, immediately, immediately. Um, and so there's it's it's a high action. So I think that's probably where we'll spend most of next fall. And then as far as uh, as far as the Old Testament goes for next year. Um, I'm thinking um, I may um, lead through the book of Amos, which is what I did my dissertation on, um, because uh, just some of the some of the issues 
that uh, that the Southern Baptist Convention in particular has been facing with, uh, you know, uh, race and uh, and abuse and some of those things. I uh, want to spend some time talking about what does biblical justice look like? You know, what does it mean to uh, to care for people? What does it mean to to serve and minister to people? So those will be the major, major themes for next year, I think. Awesome. Uh, yeah, so it's it's interesting planning a, uh, sermons, I feel like, for the different kind of church, different kinds of churches. Because you're talking about like the needs of the church and paying attention to that. And so for me, there's a difference in planning services for a church plant as opposed to a church with 188 years of history. And like the needs of the situation where the church is largely stable um, is just a little bit is a lot different where I am like uh, in a lot of sense still just being introduced to the people in the church a lot. And so a lot of that goes into, I think, thinking through how do we preach? Normally, I would do. Um, um, I agree with you on expository preaching and series. Sometimes I'll, I usually like to do one or two topical series a year that applies directly to the situation. But even that, the sermons themselves are expository. Mm. Going to, yeah. um, going approaching this topic, but going and anchoring ourselves in a text for the week, and then the next week anchoring ourselves in the text. I'll tell you another kind of series that I find people love is a biblical theological, a biblical theology type series. Because one time, um, because of core value of the church, I did a series that was a, essentially, it wasn't called this, but it was essentially a biblical theology of failure. Like the low points of the Bible. Mm. What do we find God to be like at those points? And that was a, for a number of people, including me, like a favorite series and going, oh, whoa. Because, you know, there's different ways of doing biblical theology, but one of the ways is to trace a topic or a theme throughout the Bible and say, how is this developed over time? And that's what we right. did. Also did a series that was basically a biblical theology of parenting, starting in Genesis 1 and going through the Bible. And so that's actually another kind of expository series that I found that people like. And so um, I... Um, I like both of those. Um, but yeah, so I just am tending to think I in the past when I'm incredibly um, invitation focused. And what I mean by that is people inviting a friend to the series or it's an on ramp into the church for people, for outsiders. I. Um, uh so anyway, those are a few things that I think through. I when I want that when we're focused often on inviting outsiders, uh, inviting friends, and making it an easy on ramp into the church. Shorter series are best. I feel like six to eight weeks. But one of the things I'm realizing in, in our current situation, where I've been here almost six months, but I'm still just being introduced to people, just in our church that a longer series is not a bad thing it's actually a good it can be a good fit and as fast as we went through exodus i'd like to give myself and the church a chance to breathe and mm -hmm. so going you know like we i'm not gonna push a thousand miles an hour on another on a series coming up after christmas as i plan 
2022. And so let's give the series some chance to breathe a little bit. Um, just, just like I said, feeling a bit exhausted. And um, so, you know, a great place to go after Exodus would be the Gospel of John. Yeah, I'm so actually we are going to uh, the Gospels next. And I haven't actually decided exactly what it's going to be, but I've had this kind of in place for months is um, going to either the book of Luke or preaching, just preaching parables, going to a collection of parables in Luke. So I haven't decided yet if I want to move straight into the earth, Jesus ministry in Galilee or Jesus on the road to Jerusalem or just G- Jesus ministry around Jerusalem, but taking the winter to really together slowly sit at the feet of Jesus. Did I, uh, did I tell you about uh, the book by L. Scott Kellum? It's called preaching the farewell discourse. Huh? Oh, that's a great one. You gotta, you gotta get that and read it. Uh, it, he he does a fantastic job of laying that out and uh, addressing topics and themes through the farewell discourse that really opens your eyes. And so basically looking at that, when I came to Lincoln Avenue, uh, I had just read that book and I wanted to kind of start my ministry here with something that I was that I was passionate about. And one of the things that our family is really, uh, really invested in is using our home as a base for mission. Um, so hospitality is a big deal for us. We have people over all the time. Um, you know, we constantly, I mean, you know, we have a rotating door of kids that are <laughs> in and out and all that kind of stuff. And so I actually preached a section um, of Luke that basically takes place, um, what, chapters 14 through 18 or something like that. Uh, where basically each of the teachings takes place around a table, you know, where Jesus is at this table, or he's he's here doing this, and he, or he's moving from one to another. Um, and so we uh, we used that, and uh, Kellum's book was kind of an inspiration for that. That's a great book. Huh. I yeah. uh, I wrote that name down. I uh, yeah. yeah. So after I I the in our current situation current which I don't know a lot. I've only been here six months. Christmas is a big deal. And I want to make a big deal out of that. So we're spending Christmas in Luke, in Luke's narrative. There's only two birth narratives. So we'll be all over the years. We'll be alternating Luke and Matthew, but I love that because, and this is something I learned from my kids is I used to be annoyed when my kids would want to read the same story over and over and over. We're going to read Lama Lama 40 times this week until I came to realize they don't get all the details the first time through. Every time through, they notice a different thing in the pictures. They notice a different sound in the words. There's something about the, the story that, that they, because their brains are still developing, like they want to read it again because they're catching some different things. Sure. They remember like this part, but like, every time it's like building and so i think not only is christmas a time where where an unbeliever might be more open to coming and joining us or listening to a sermon or whatever the case may be but i also am like i 
yearly at Christmas and Easter, returning to those same places helps us go there a little bit more, a little bit deeper. And um, so anyway, we make a big deal out of Christmas next year. So then we'll be going into Luke or parables. I really haven't decided. I, I would love to do just a parable series, but that. Um, uh, Man, you know, coming out of Exodus, though, too, it would make a ton of sense to go to the Sermon on the Mount. That's the other thing that I would love to do, but that I, like I said, I also don't want to do something incredibly taxing. Yeah. Uh, and so I would just say this. I, yeah. I would like to, if, if my mother is listening, if she's one of the one people that listens yeah. to this podcast, mom, there is much, much more discussion in the New Testament about the kingdom of God than the birth of Jesus. I'm just going to say that. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, um, there, well, and what's interesting is I heard this week Douglas Moo in his new uh, Theology of Paul book, he was saying, he was, he was saying he didn't have the chance to really dig into and think through and address why it is that Paul quotes Jesus almost not at all. If I remember him correctly, he's like Paul. Like one of the few times, if if not the only time Paul quotes Jesus, he's quoting something that we don't have in the Gospels. Because most of what Paul does is he's making much of Jesus' death and resurrection. Well, that too, uh, Paul would have been an Old Testament scholar, and he probably didn't know Jesus personally. Um, he persecuted the church, and the evidence is kind of that he was a a little bit younger that he wasn't a contemporary uh, in the same, you know, age bracket. Uh, so a lot of his understanding of Jesus would have come from the testimony of others. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that makes a huge, yeah, that, make, that makes a ton of sense. So anyway, I just, I found that I was actually like, Oh, you know what? You're right. But uh, I never really thought about that, but it makes a ton of sense. So his, his answer to that is he said, one reason is sometimes you can capture somebody's thought better in your own words better than just trying to quote what they said. But mm. by putting it into your own words, you can own it and then reflect the heart of it better than just, just taking it down verbatim and saying, well, he said this. And so sometimes that, that act of I, Paul internalizing the, the, the life, death, resurrection, ministry, and words of Jesus, and then regurgitating those in his own words is actually more faithful to Jesus than just a, a, a bullet list of quotes. Absolutely. Uh, I, I, that's, one of my, that's one of my principles for preaching when I'm preaching, when we walk through the focus method, that S is for share. And basically what I'm doing is I want to encourage the congregation that's just interacted with God's word to take it and boil it down and summarize it in like their own. I want them to put it in their own words. Maybe just one sentence. If somebody at the water cooler Monday morning can ask you, what was the sermon about your words? Because your voice matters because God's called you to be a missionary in that workplace at that moment, at that time, not me. Um, and so I, that's one of the things I talk about constantly is your voice matters. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah. You're dead on there. Yeah. So next year looks like probably Luke. 
uh, followed up by a, a series in the Minor Prophets, and then uh, then an Easter series, uh, finishing the spring into the summer with a New Testament letter, and then going back to the Psalms. Um, Have you ever next- thought about doing um, each of the Minor Prophets one week, like? Well, that's kind of what I'm. One week. That's kind Joel of what I'm considering. Uh huh. That's kind of what I'm considering for the. Uh, it's going to be basically mid February, um, starting in. I, I, we won't be doing all the minor prophets at that time, but like you had said about going Old Testament and New Testament, one of the things that I love to do is, I think that uh, doing something new has some new energy to it, and so there's something to look forward to. Mm-hmm. But also, I'm kind of jealous for for the for myself and for our church to know the whole Bible, and to go, yeah, we're going to spend some time in the Gospels, and then we're going to take a breath, and we're going to go to the either one or several of the minor prophets, and then we're going to spend some time in a New Testament letter, and we're going to be you know worshiping in the Psalms in the summer, and then in the fall we probably will do a topical series that kind of addresses right. where you guys our do church summer is at. Psalms too, don't you? Yeah, I've uh, before yeah. I've done the uh, um, the Psalms of Ascent, but when we got here, I was like, I don't know where to start because I don't really. I mean, I, I've interviewed with the church, I've talked to them, but like, I don't really know people on the on a heart level. And a good place for us to start is going to be uh, to learn uh, to sit at the feet of, you know, sit at the feet of Jesus and learn what is. What does God say about our life through the songs that we sing? How does he want to actually, that's not what we go back. How does God use his songs to form us? Not just as things for us to say, but to sing them in such a way that they become a part of us and shape our hearts. So that's actually where we started. And I'm just like, okay, let's just go through the Psalms every summer and um, look forward to that. So that's what this next year looks like for me, for us. Lord willing, I don't usually change things, but like on a, for, on a week level, I might go, okay, well, this is what we're going to do, or, hey, let's sharpen the focus here, but I find there can be a good amount of momentum by moving to different things. Yeah, um, yeah, I think so, too. And so spending six to eight weeks uh, in Luke is, is a great fit, and then there's kind of some excitement going to the prophets. So I told you about that preacher who preached 50 years in the book of Job, right? That, that, yes, we talked about that. Yeah, that's not me. I'm still kind of, yeah, I'm still kind of, uh, no, So not me. Anyway. But people would feel like Job when I finished that series. They would, they would feel like they had lost everything. I feel like that's like a topical. I, I feel like that's a topical series. Like... Yeah. If you preach 50 years of the book of Job, then you're just handling topics at that point. You have to be. I mean, you you have to be taking, you know, like one or two verses and using them as a launch pad to uh, to to tackle something else. I mean, there's there's no way you can get that much out of Job's friends' dialogues. And, yeah. 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 Well, this has been super fun. Um, for those that have been walking, I mean, somebody just texted me today saying, Hey, we really love the podcast. And oh, so, awesome. uh, so, um, this has been super fun, but this is the end of season one. Season one. Doesn't I said sound you, weird to say, 
Well, I like it because it means that we don't have to feel bad about going, hey, we're about to go into the busiest month of the year. You know, yeah. like we, I, I asked, I said at the beginning, I said, Jeremy, can we, can we commit to doing through October and November, we'll call it a season. And if it's a good fit and people like it and it's a benefit to people, then we can decide later to pick it up for another season. Um, whereas we don't, we haven't committed to for the next year, we're going to recap. But I have learned a ton. It's been really good for me to kind of hear what you're preaching, hear what you're thinking through. I approach every sermon now with some of the stuff that you've said ringing in my ears, like, hey, I need to make sure I'm handling it this way. And yeah, then I've, I've had a great time. Yeah. And uh, you are uh, very well read in some of these areas. And it's kind of uh, been sharpening to me. We're like, yeah, you know what? You know, we're talking about Brueggemann tonight. So I need, I need to go back and I need to look at, you know, the prophetic imagination again. Or I, I need to go back and look at some of his stuff um, to remember why I don't love Brueggemann. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, let me confess. I... Um... I'm not like, oh, I need to run out and read Walter Brueggemann. But like when I was going through college, he's he was, well, for two reasons. He was kind of like one of the big Old Testament scholars. And that's one of the shifts for me is to now be old enough where I'm like, I remember the conservative resurgence. I remember the Baptist Faith of the Message 2000 coming out. And and I remember like things being reformed in seminaries, not reformed in the Calvinist sense, but like reformed right. in the seminaries so that now there's an incredible amount of top level scholarship coming from people that hold to a high view of scripture. Like it happens. It's just like all over the place. Like there's now the teaching is good. The books are good. The um, uh, and you know, the, we have great translations now and to go, wait, it didn't. I, that kind of transition happened when I was in college. And so what I take for granted now, when I was in college, Walter Brueggemann was one of the really the big Old Testament guys. There weren't a lot of good um, uh, conservative people that I would go to now. Like at the time, it's kind of like, um, like a handful of guys that I wouldn't go, oh yeah, that's my go-to guy. Nobody was talking about the Old Testament at that time at least nobody that I knew of or that. And then I also had a job my freshman year of college cataloging one of my professor's um, entire office library. And I I can't decide if that's awesome or terrible. uh, Well, it's that in some ways it's terrible. He's not gonna listen to this, so it doesn't matter. Um, In a lot of ways it's terrible. I was not the guy for that because I'm not that kind of a detailed person anyway. And he wanted this so that if the building burned down, then he would have insurance, like a list to tell his insurance what books he needed. And so this professor's books were more liberal than I would care for. Hmm. And so my, my first exposure, my freshman year of college, was to a guy who wanted to deal with the Hebrew text and the Greek text, but he wanted to deal with them, the Hebrew scriptures as Hebrew scriptures only. And he felt it necessary to interact with all of the German scholars and with the theologians like Paul Tillich and like, just like people that I now am like, what, why would you waste your time on some of this stuff? And so, Anyway, so that backstory is like when I hear Walter Brueggemann has a new book that's come out on the book of Exodus, I'm going, 
well, he was one of the first Old Testament people I'd ever been exposed to. And he's not really somebody that's one of my resources. I have no books by him on my shelf or anything like that. But to go, oh, he's got a brand new book out. And the title alone, I do think captures the second half of the book of Exodus. Yeah. So in my defense, I, you know, like you, you can probably describe way more of Walter Brueggemann than I can. Um, I'm more of a, the, the camp that I come from, we leaned heavily on Walter Kaiser, um, a lot of his old Testament stuff. Yeah. That's actually the other, I was like, who's the other guy at the time? It was like, Walter Brueggemann was like the English version of the German guys (laughs) and Walt Kaiser. And now we just have lots of good resources and I could name yeah. a, any number of guys that, Hey, go check out their, his yeah. book or their book. There's a, there's a couple of books coming out uh, that I've been really excited about. Uh, Danny Carroll up at uh, Wheaton just, just released a new commentary on Amos that I've been, uh, I've been wanting to get my hands on. Huh. So I'm looking forward to that one. And then, um, Got a, I've got a uh, young man from church who's going to Midwestern uh, Spurgeon Bible College out at Kansas City. Yeah. And he, he's got a professor, uh, Dr. King, that just released a book on Amos that I want to get my hands on, too. But it's a very scholarly book. And so when they first released it, it was like one hundred and fifty dollars for the book or something like that. I'm like, no. Wow. So maybe I think they've got a paperback coming out now. that's more like 40 bucks. So maybe. OK, <laughs> maybe. Speaking of that, we've never talked about this. We'll, we'll go out with a bang here at the podcast. Okay. What are you reading right now? Oh, um, so you were talking about a book earlier that you've tried to read multiple times. Um, and uh, you're just kind of trying to get through it on writing. And I have picked this book up a couple of times and I just recently picked it back up. It's called Quest for the Historical Apostles. Okay. And so it's kind of a, uh, and it's by uh, W. Brian Shelton. And so it's, he's trying to separate fact from myth, tradition, and fiction in the life of the apostles. Um, and so that's, that's kind of what I'm looking at. It's kind of a, his, a history book more than a ministry book, but just, yeah, just something interesting. Um, so I'm reading this right now as far as ministry goes. And then um, I've got a couple of uh, secular books I'm reading through also. Okay. What are those? In case you're wondering, uh, Charles Dickens, The Christmas okay. Books, Volume One, and Stephen Ranella's book on um, growing up hunting. So, okay. Because like I like to hunt and fish and be a hillbilly. Yeah. So, what about yourself? What are you reading? Um, so, last night, I always have a book on my bedside table. I finished Andrew Peterson's The God of the Garden. Oh, I've heard of that. I haven't read it. Yeah. You recommend it? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's really good. It's kind of like a companion to um companion to oh, what is that? He has another book called Awakening the Wonder or something like that. Wow, I can't believe I missed that title. Anyway, it's kind of a it's a memoir. This book is like a memoir. Uh, reflecting on gardening trees in his faith Hmm. and without ruining it it ends up in a very different place than I thought it was going to go and I told my wife that like like the ultimate like the the focal point of the whole book I reread and reread those pages last night and I was like 
it was not about conveying information, but conveying an emotion and an affection. Hmm. And that's weird because it's like, what? Like, it's hard to describe because I read it over and over trying to understand what he was saying. And I was like, he's not trying to get information across. He's trying to get you to a point through reading this book where actually that's a good description of it, where like you reach a point with him and you participate in the story and you like react to it in such a way. And normally I would be like kind of fuzzy, like, what is that? Like, why would you write some? But I think there's a point to it. And a good example is there's an author he loves that I love too, Wendell Berry. Do you know who he is? I know the name. I know the yeah. name. Why do I know that name? Uh, novelist from Kentucky. And uh, I got to hear him speak one time and he's like a cranky old farmer and he's awesome. Um, but he's like, uh, he's like, uh, he's a great novelist. He's done poetry. He's done essays and books of nonfiction. I really love his, his kind of way of looking at the world. But he in particular has a book that um, I don't remember if Andrew Peterson said it or if it was Michael Card, because when I was in college, he spoke at my college and we went to dinner and we were talking about books and he said, read this book and so and so, so and so. Eventually I read the book and Andrew Peterson had that experience. Michael Card talked about this kind of thing where the whole book, you're kind of like, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? You read the whole book, you get to like 450 pages and it's the last page of the book. And the very last sentence of the book will like stop your heart. I, Andrew Peterson's like, I started weeping and I'm pretty sure I was crying too. And I what at the point that I read that I didn't cry. Now I cry all the time, but at the time I didn't cry. And so like you read the whole book and it just gets to this one sentence that just tears your heart out. And you're like, that book was worth it. And there, there's a, there are other books that I've read that have been similar. Like, you're like, why am I reading this? Why do people love this? I don't get it. And then you like get it. And like the whole weight of like what war feels like comes just crashing down on your heart. So the God of the garden has that effect. And since I love to garden, that kind of, that element kind of played into it. But also he was a pastor's kid living in a parsonage in a small town in Illinois. And like, there's just like, a ton of like, like overlaps. So that book is awesome. But I'm also reading uh, The Pastor's Justification, which is just so good. It's just on like- Yeah, what you've it means talked to, about it a couple of times. What it means to be a pastor and what it means for Jesus to be the pastor that we- should be in our place so then he can form us into the pastor we can be that looks great and then uh pray for the flock have you read any of brian croft's books i don't think so do you know who brian croft doesn't is? sound familiar brian croft has a an organization. Croft. Croft. i would say cross no yeah practical uh, shepherding yes, I know. yeah um well, I found that their series has actually been really helpful to me in this season. And I, I don't know how many of them I've read recently, but this book is really good on prayer. It is, I'm not done with it. And it's specifically applied to pastors praying for their church. But I've read a bunch of books on prayer and I'm pretty sure this is one, of, this is the top one so far. And maybe I'd reread the other ones. Really? And go, oh, I'm going to get, but like, there is some stuff that encourages me to pray and inspires me to pray. And like, there's practical elements to praying and it's just really, really good. But I've really enjoyed the books in that series on visiting the sick, doing gospel centered funerals. And um, this one on praying for the flock is really, really good. 
Yeah, yeah. I I don't think I've ever read any of his stuff, but I'm familiar. Yeah, in some ways, it's good to read this book along or his books along with the pastor's justification because I I would come from a very gospel driven uh ministry mentality and hermeneutic even christ-centered gospel-driven hermeneutic and brian croft does not and mm. so um it's good for me to to not just he, sometimes his writing and things can just come from across his law and this book is actually co-written with brian fullerton but there's just really biblical stuff really helpful stuff in it um for example, I mean, they just did a chapter on intercessors in the Bible and the incredible privilege that God gives to leaders like Abraham and to Daniel uh, and to Moses to like intercede before God for the people and God answers. And I like read that chapter and I was like, that's amazing. And so today I was sitting with somebody and uh, got the chance to pray for him you know, dealing with some health concerns. And there's always just like heart issues that go along with that. And just all, and I just, before I started praying, I was, cause it can feel powerless sometimes. And like, I'm doing this cause I should, but God, I don't know what you're up to. And I just, I just, it actually flashed into my head. God has given me the privilege to stand before him on behalf of this friend, this person in my church, he's given me the chance to do that. And so I'm going to take that chance. Yeah. And he, he's going to do stuff, it, man. And uh, so it just kind of made my prayers bolder to mm -hmm. just go, I get the privilege to stand like Abraham before God in between God and Sodom and intercede, you know, yeah. to stand between uh, God and my friend, the way Moses stood between God and the people of Israel. And God has ordained that that's one of the ways he works. And so I find that book is just awesome. It sounds good. Yeah, that sounds interesting. Well, cool, man. I have enjoyed our first season. Yeah. Well, I am so glad that you've done it with me. And I know other people have talked yeah. about listening to it. I've seen some of the, the download numbers and stuff, but um, it's been super valuable for me. Well, I've, I've enjoyed it too. So thank you for, thank you for walking through it with me. It's been, yeah. it's been a joy. Awesome. Well, th and thank you to you guys that have downloaded and listened to it or that have shared it with somebody else because you giving us some some of your time is a big uh, gift. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And watch this feed for if we decide we're going to do some more. So yeah. All right. Thanks, guys.